Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Well, today is probably going to be a pretty crazy show, and it's one of those things where you're kind of relaxed, and you're kind of in that sort of 4th of July you know, mode, and you sort of just to think you're going to be kind of here marking time and you know getting ready to go into the weekend and lo and behold yesterday on thursday we had one of the craziest news announcements that we've ever had and it echoes very much what happened almost exactly a year ago a little less than a year ago when the sec announced it was adding texas and oklahoma into the fold for the upcoming season Uh, well yesterday we got a gigantic response from the big 10 adding in usc and ucla stretching way out west into los angeles to pull what you would arguably say are the two flagship programs from the pac-12 into a new league now ucla hasn't had as much success over the years as like say an oregon has but ucla is a very recognizable brand playing in westwood right there in that very big city of los angeles home games of course pasadena there in the rose bowl to put ucla and usc into the big 10 is just a really, really big deal. And it's almost so big that it's hard to kind of cover every angle of what this might mean because there are just so many different tentacles potentially to all of this. And obviously the immediate aftermath of this is, what does it mean for Georgia? What does it mean for the SEC? What's going to come next? And honestly, I mean, we'll throw some stuff out today. There's a very good chance that uh, a lot of our predictions are just going to be wrong we may be thinking too wild in some respects we may not be quite kind of thinking wild enough in other respects it certainly seems like anything is is possible on all of this so in in light of usc ucla joining the big 10 this is not a rumor this is not a report this is a done deal it started out as like a thing on twitter yesterday from a guy named john wilner who uh, does pac-12 hotline you know as plugged into that league as anybody is it's really the only pac-12 guy i follow on twitter just because he's really the only guy that's you know presenting any real news and if he's not reporting it's not real news um so he just puts it out there and then like within a matter of hours like they're in you know usc ucla they are in the big 10 so let's do this for a moment let's talk about kind of how we got here and let's talk about kind of what comes next and i think it's important in light of all of this to connect it back to the sec story as i said from last july when much the same way pretty quietly you know i remember i was leaving hoover alabama and sec media days uh when uh when the texas oklahoma stuff started dropping like i literally you know that bucky's that's there in uh leeds like right just outside of uh, hoover I, I literally had to like pull into that uh bucky's there in leeds of course i got a couple brisket sandwiches and just sort of sat there and tried to like follow all of this and kind of figure out what was going on as uh the the texas the oklahoma stuff was dropping brent's Warnerman, of course the houston chronicle reporter who was so heavy in on that there at the time and much the same way the usc the ucla thing happened very very fast the texas oklahoma stuff happened really fast too let me remind you here uh, of what sec commissioner greg sankey said about this last summer about the way in which Uh, It came to be that Texas and Oklahoma joined the league because Sankey's public words from a year ago kind of give us a little bit of a backdrop for what happened yesterday with the Trojans and the Bruins. This was Greg Sankey on the league's, the SEC's own expansion going back to last summer. Those two universities reached out to us and things accelerated in the middle of media days with the Houston Chronicle report and uh, it was a pretty busy 10 days, but I'm excited about our future, but uh, 
pretty clearly that was the two universities reaching out. So, you know, in the CFP discussion, just to extend it, you know, ESPN has done this. No, that's that's not accurate. Uh, this is two universities who were making decisions about their future and chose to, to reach out to the Southeastern Conference. And the result is a membership transition that's contemplated July 1st, 2025, around the, the, their completion of contractual commitments to their current league. So that's an interesting statement, and it sounds sort of like legalese type stuff and, you know, kind of sort of bureaucratic, sort of boring stuff. But there's actually a little bit more there than you might think. What Sankey is trying to make the case for very strongly, I don't have any reason to disbelieve him. Certainly have no proof that what he's saying is incorrect. But at the time, there was a lot of blame being pointed at ESPN. Some of this was coming from the Big 12. You remember this? Uh, A lot of folks in the Big 12 thought that ESPN was essentially sabotaging their league as a way of building up the SEC, a league that the ESPN folks had an exclusive kind of rights holder agreement with moving forward in the future. The Big 12 has a portion of their stuff connected to Fox. And like a lot of folks in Big 12 country were sort of saying, hey, the SEC is sabotaging our league as a way of building up their television product. And what Sankey is saying there is, no, that's not what happened. Texas and Oklahoma reached out to us. In other words, they called us. We didn't call them. That was Sankey's line at the time. Now, the reason why I'm sharing that with you from Sankey for a year ago is because similar stuff is being said right now about the move of USC and UCLA into the Big Ten. And the similar statement is being made in response to that by the folks in charge. It is being publicly portrayed as USC and UCLA reached out to the Big Ten. The Big Ten didn't reach out to them. And much the same way it was accused that ESPN was driving the conference expansion that brought Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, there's an accusation being levied, some cases by serious people, in other cases it's just rumor mongering, that, well, actually, Fox is the one that's driving this because Fox is about to gain. Because remember, Fox owns a big stake in the Big Ten Network. Uh, Fox has the big noon kickoff games, which feature the Big Ten teams. The Big Ten's a big part of the Fox product. Fox is a network is located in Los Angeles. And therefore, it's actually Fox, according to some, that's driving the conference expansion that's leading the two L.A. schools, USC and UCLA, to join the Big Ten. Much the same way you had across-the-board denial from people in charge when the sec got it in texas oklahoma you're getting those same kind of denials about the big 10 adding usc and ucla but it's still not stopping some from saying well behind the curtain kind of like the marionette making all of this work think about the godfather here for a second the marionette making all of this work was espn for the sec expansion and now the fox network for the big 10 expansion that's kind of some of the chatter that's out there and of course something else from the past here for a moment is some of the predictions that took place related to the Texas Oklahoma news when it happened last summer that a lot of folks were like well these are just the first dominoes of a lot of other dominoes that were going to fall although it's fair to point out that in the immediate aftermath of the Oklahoma Texas news joining the SEC up until yesterday we really hadn't seen anything else as a response to that but at the time it didn't stop folks from making predictions that sort of seemed not quite as correct or maybe a little too fatalistic in recent months but after the usc ucla stuff from yesterday all of a sudden some of those big wild speculative statements that were made just after oklahoma and texas joined the sec all of a sudden some of that seems worth revisiting again let me give you an example of this this is clemson coach Dabo swinney at, at his own league's acc media days when the texas oklahoma stuff was being talked about Dabo seemed to lay out a future that a lot of folks seem to agree with of 
all of this kind of gravitating towards bigger entities running these things that we used to think of as conferences and the landscape of college football eventually looking quite different than anything that those of us who've grown up loving the sport have been used to. This is what Dabo Swinney said about that last summer. You know, this is the first dominoes are falling. Ultimately, you know, the more expansion you have, the more you're going to have super conferences and probably somewhere down the road. I don't know when it is. Is it five years? Is it 10 years? But there probably will be some type of, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 team league that kind of has, you know, their own commissioner or whatever and, and 12, 16 team playoff. I don't know. Um, it's probably ultimately where it's going, but, you know, right now it's just all about trying to get ready for Georgia. Uh, September 4th, I got my hands full. Of course, he was saying that just before they opened the season against Georgia a year ago. And I think when you listen to Dabo when he speak there at the time, knowing that Texas and Oklahoma were coming to the SEC, but not knowing quite what's coming next. Now, USC, UCLA going to the Big Ten, you know, Dabo expresses a line of thought that's been you know shared a good bit of hey eventually we're all heading towards these four team super conferences and as Dabo says eventually it's going to be like sort of 40 or 50 teams playing at the highest level and everybody else sort of left to fend for themselves in actuality I think what we're growing towards the sense that you get is it's not four team super conferences and obviously this is just speculation here but but the the sort of overwhelming speculation right now would seem to be well actually it's not four four super conferences there may not be four there may just be two that the sec and the big 10 because of the media rights money they're able to garner because of the success that their various programs have had both in terms of the box office and in some cases on the field certainly for the sec because of that the sec and the big 10 are pulling so far ahead of the other leagues that the chances of like an acc or a pac-12 or somebody like that creating their own super conference that rivals what the sec and the big 10 are doing that's almost impossible now because to have super conferences you have to have some super teams and if you look around there aren't really very many super teams left you know think about a shopping mall for a moment if you want to have a shopping mall you have to have anchor stores right if you grew up going to shopping malls i don't know how many people are doing shopping malls anymore but if you grew up going to shopping malls you have to have those big anchor stores those big department stores that bring people in and then they'll start shopping around the other stores there as well the smaller stores that kind of make up the middle of the shopping mall like you don't have a lot of anchor teams left to form any other super conferences at this point in time it seems like the big 10 the sec are just pulling so far out in front of everybody else that you're left to wonder well some of the other leagues that we've thought of as so-called power five leagues will they even have a chance to survive if they don't have the big marquee name uh big name in lights like usc would be like a texas oklahoma being added to the sec would be if you don't have that big marquee name in lights do you really even have a conference anymore and Dabo saying well it's 40 or 50 teams it may be 40 but i'm not sure it's 50 right i mean as as college football grows into a greater chasm between the haves and have nots you know the idea that there are 50 halves i'm not quite so sure i see that you know i i I see room for maybe 20 in the sec 20 in the big 10 but is it but is it more than that now as i said before a lot of this is just speculation and speculation has a way of sometimes not coming true and plenty of what will be speculated even, even by me right now will end up not being what the sport looks like in the future but we're all bracing for big change i would say anything's possible and the kind of sort of wild things we throw out you know this time of year just to pass time during the summer almost nothing seems too wild to at least be considered 
when it comes to how college football is going to look like in the very near future. Now, final thing here really quickly. I think a lot of folks are left to say, okay, well, B.A., this is interesting. Obviously, this is way different than what college football used to look like. But how does this impact Georgia specifically? I think that's a very fair question. And listen, there may be a lot of ways that all of this impacts Georgia in the very near future. But I think the way in which this impacts Georgia right now is that over the course of the last couple of years, one of the really fun conversations that we've been having has been related to all of the really cool non-conference series that Georgia has in place before it kind of gets into SEC play in future years. Georgia's supposed to play at Oklahoma next year. Georgia's supposed to go to UCLA for a home-and-home a couple of years after that. Georgia's got big series schedule with Ohio State, with Texas, several games coming up with Clemson, got some stuff with Florida State. And I think in light of all of this, I think you're sort of left to wonder kind of, will those games actually be played? I mean, if you want to go back to SEC spring meetings here for a moment. Kirby Smart was in Destin, Florida, talking about at the time what the SEC was deliberating regarding an eight or a nine game conference schedule in the future. We actually finished SEC spring meetings without knowing what was going to happen in regards to that future SEC scheduling model. But Smart at the time didn't make reference to the fact that, hey, one way or another, you know, Georgia's going to try to play in some big games, whether it be big non-conference games or more big SEC games. But as of right now, there is more mystery than ever about what the future of the Georgia schedule is going to look like. As a reminder, this is Kirby going back to May on the big games that Georgia wants to play. Here's Kirby. I think it's a lot more about who you play in those other games than necessarily a nine-game schedule. And we've been very aggressive in terms of scheduling and trying to schedule opponents out in the future that make great matchups because I want the University of Georgia to play in big games. So whether that's an extra SEC game or a, another Power 5 opponent that uh, attracts our fan base and excites our fan base, then so be it. I don't have a stance in terms of this is what's best or that's what's best because it changes as our conference changes. So simply put, when Kirby Smart says, hey, we've tried to be aggressive and schedule a lot of big games for our program out into the very near future, or in some cases the distant future, at least it seemed like when those games were first scheduled, does Georgia still play UCLA? Like, does UCLA take on a, a conference schedule in the Big Ten that either prevents them from playing Georgia or dissuades them from wanting to play Georgia because all of a sudden now they're playing, you know, more Big Ten teams in the cold as opposed to sort of the pillow soft teams they typically play in the Pac-12? To be completely honest with you, does Georgia play Oklahoma next year, knowing that you know Oklahoma is about to be in the SEC, but as of now they're not, and maybe the SEC is thinking about expanding its conference schedule? I don't know the answers to any of these questions, but if you're looking at what this conference expansion means for Georgia in the immediate, there is a very good chance in the very near future, maybe as soon as next season, the Georgia schedule looks a lot different than you expect it to. And some of the games you thought Georgia was going to play, maybe it's now not going to play them. I mean, bottom line is, is however college ball evolves, the dogs expect to be in a pretty good place in that evolution because the program's so strong. Uh, I don't think Georgia fans have much to worry about there in that regard. But a lot of other fans of a lot of other programs who maybe don't quite stand on as strong a footing, I think anything is possible as this sport grows into something far different than any of us recognize from when we were younger. 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Kroger, and we are glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, we start at 945, first and 15. That's dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. On the radio at noon today on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref. We'll be preempted for the holiday on Monday there on the radio, but back again on Tuesday after that. And, of course, podcasts, wherever you find them, Apple spotify the google player worldfamousdognation.com all kinds of ways to connect with dog nation daily presented by kroger and we really appreciate you doing that uh, here with us quick note on the programming side of things so we're live here today we have a show for you on monday that's pre-recorded we've already kind of put that in the can so we did that yesterday afternoon just before the big 10 expansion news came out so we'll be a little bit different on the show on monday but covering a lot of the live stuff here right now but we did want to have something for you in place of the holiday so check us out there on the fourth of july for an edition of our program coming up then and of course glad to have you here today and a big thanks to our friends at kroger for making it all possible and how about this we haven't told you about this in a while but i'm happy to know that it's coming back how about kroger chef jr it's a really fun thing my kids love this and it's back for you just in time for summer so you can come enjoy uh kroger chef jr experience with the local kroger chef or a guided kids cooking experience and make some vegetable dip now hasn't that fun little veggie dip uh trying to eat healthy in the summertime and teach your kids more about you know how to do good stuff like that well that's what kroger's got for you and it comes up on july 16th or you can also do it again on july 30th if you uh, missed the first opportunity there at select kroger locations make sure you can check that out it's a 30 minute class your child receives an apron and a patch a chef's hat there as well listen i kind of like the idea of a little chef's hat there too that's kind of fun get a recipe card a box a spatula it's all just seven dollars per child and you can register at krogerchefjr.com now the word junior is actually spelled out on this if you're listening radio podcast uh, it's you know the word junior j-u-n-i-o-r krogerchefjr.com today you can sign up for the great kroger chef junior experience make some veggie dip with your kids coming up there on either july 16th or july 30th at a kroger store close to you make sure you check that out there all right we're going to check out jeff Sintel for some uga recruiting news coming up in just a moment before that though i do want to very briefly go around the doghouse here today and a lot of this is going to lead into what we talk about jeff with in a moment because concurrent to like the crazy stuff happening in boardrooms all across college athletics in sort of the closer to home world there is massive recruiting uh, news that we're all kind of on standby for as we move through the month of July. And maybe the first of those dominoes to fall could come later on this afternoon as I speak to you on a Friday morning. We told you earlier this week that Daniel Harris, the four-star defensive back from down in South Florida, he's set to make his college choice, Georgia among his four finalists. And now we know a little bit more about when Harris is going to make his pledge. It's going to go on later on today. We'll show you Harris here on Twitter saying that at 1 p.m. today, uh, Daniel Harris is going to drop that announcement. Uh, One o'clock, he says tomorrow. He said this yesterday. So Harris, who's choosing, uh, you know, among Georgia and Penn State and uh, Michigan, among those finalists there for him. uh, Today at 1 p.m. as I'm doing this live, we're going to hear what Daniel Harris's news is. So obviously, for those of you who listen podcast, after the fact uh you will maybe know more about this then than we do now but that's one of those names to watch this is a defensive back that seems to impress the georgia coaching staff they've seemed to try kind of move pretty quickly on him if you look at the way in which that georgia 
you know, white uniform with the big chain around it was kind of positioned in Harris's edit earlier this week. It seems like he has pretty good feelings there for UGA. Obviously, it's always an important thing to kind of stay involved in those you know, South Florida defensive backs, and that's seemingly what George has done here. So we'll keep our eye on Harris as we roll through the uh, weekend. And of course, when I'm back live with you on Tuesday, we'll talk about this news as it plays out one way or another. But that is not the only thing going on with UGA recruiting. As we get ready to say hello to Jeff Sintel and bring him on the show, we'll talk about how Jeff thinks the Harris announcement might play out. But Jeff also had a really good piece with uh, Tyler Williams, the uh, four-star wide receiver at DogNation.com earlier this week. Harris is also one of those guys, uh, or I should say Williams, is also one of those guys seemingly moving in the direction of the dogs and had some interesting things to say about you know kind of why that is. We learned a lot about Williams from Jeff's piece at DogNation.com earlier this week. There's also maybe another, you know, pretty good looking prospect who maybe seemingly is trending away from UGA. Honestly, compels us to admit on that. And we'll kind of circle back to that Raylan Wilson story, the big linebacker that drove so much of our chatter earlier in the week. Where do things stand with Wilson after he's decommitted from Michigan? We'll cover all of those bases. Let's get ready to go on the road, assisted by AAA with Jeff Sintel. Glad to have him and all of you with us here on Dog Nation Daily today. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to be able to say hello to Jeff Sintel on the road, assisted by AAA here today on Dog Nation Daily. And Jeff, I appreciate your time. I know we're rolling into a holiday weekend. I'm sure you've got plenty of things you're enjoying as you're covering all the recruiting bases there too. So thank you so much for stopping by and being a part of this on the road, assisted by AAA here today. Hey, Brandon. Good morning. Yeah, on the road. That's a familiar thing for me as well. It's got to, you're going to try and have that weekend fun around the fourth, but you also got to try to make sure you have strong Wi Fi wherever you're at. So that's exactly that's right. Part of the life of part of the life of a recruiting reporter that is exactly right well let me start here a little bit with what i mentioned a moment ago we knew the date for daniel harrison's commitment decision that was going to be today as we record this on a friday july 1st now we know the time there as well uh, a few hours from now as you and i are speaking here live in the 10 a.m hour harris gets ready to make his pledge where do you think things stand with he and george as he gets ready to tell the world what his college decision is a little bit later on today yeah, so it's a 1 p.m. announcement. Uh, he took officials to um, he took officials to Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Those are his final fours. Penn State was the most recent one. Georgia was in the middle of in the middle of June. And you know, I think first, Brandon, we got to get on our backpedal a little bit and really talk about Daniel Harris. First of all, it's going to get quite confusing. Um, I think folks will enjoy talking at tailgates this summer when they talk about the recruiting class and potentially they'll go. You know, I think that Harris boy is probably going to be one of the best, most underrated guys in the class. Well, should Daniel Harris choose Georgia today, you've got Gabe Harris to think about, already committed, defensive yeah. lineman out of Valdosta. You've got A.J. Harris, the cornerback, five-star out of Phoenix City, Alabama, already committed. And then potentially you could add Daniel Harris as well. That would be three same surnames in one recruiting class. Brandon, that's never happened before in my time covering Georgia. It should not happen. And then we won't even get into all the potential Williams boys that could also uh, show up in the Georgia 2022-2023 class as well. Really skinny stuff on uh, Daniel Harris. Brennan, I think the ratings are kind of a little, little behind on him. He's about 6'2", he's about 180. Uh, I think he's probably, I think his 24-7 sports composite uh, has him probably about 151 overall, something like that. I think he's a top 30, top 40 player. He's that South Florida speed. 
He goes up against elite competition every day in practice. There's a five-star wide receiver on his team. So, you know, this is a guy, should Georgia bring him into the class, Brandon, you've already got the makings of another really robust uh, defensive back class when you start thinking about what Georgia has and what still, Georgia's still going after in 2023. How much does the geography of this matter almost as much as the player? Like you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot to like about Harris in particular, but the fact that he kind of comes from fertile soil down there in South Florida, the kind of place that throughout time Georgia's had pretty deep roots with, but some of that was like James Coley, who's not here anymore, and you know, uh, this, that, and the other. Obviously, you know, Miami's a growing factor in kind of the NIL stuff there as well. The fact that Georgia kind of maintains this presence and uh, as they say, the 305, like how how much does uh, that matter almost as much as the fact that it could potentially get a very good player in Daniel Harris? Yeah, I got two different ways to answer that question. First off, the first direction I thought you were going is, right, and I've kind of, there's no such thing as absolutes in recruiting, but I've always thought that a South Florida skill player uh, if you pull them anywhere else outside of South Florida, they're probably going to go up another star or maybe a half a star. Like if, if Daniel Harris was in the Atlanta area, for example, or the Charlotte area, for example, the Dallas area, for example, I think the ratings and rankings would be much more similar to what I feel. I think there's the on three rating right now for Daniel Harris, which has him, the pure isolated rating has him at the number 35, 40, 40 player overall in the country. I think that's a good fit. Um, the other way I will answer your question is, you know, I think Georgia with defensive back recruiting, Brennan, you can say this about a lot, but I think they're at, they're at the apex of defensive back recruiting for Georgia. Not only is it NFL development, not only is it winning the national championship, but Georgia, my friend, in my humble opinion, has never been stronger on defensive back recruiting because you have a guy like Fran Brown who has immediately jumped Georgia into things with a lot of upper echelon DBs just because the type of personality, the type of worker he is on the trail. And then you add Will Muschamp to that mix along with Kirby Smart. I don't think those three meeting of the minds, Jedi masters, samurai, you know, whatever you want to call it. I don't think Georgia has ever been able to recruit the defensive back position from a position of strength like the way they currently are. I think it's interesting. Let me shift gears, talk about a different player here for a moment. Tyler Williams, four-star wide receiver. You got a really good piece with him at dognation.com the other day. And I think the Williams story from you, Jeff, kind of comes at a good time for you, GA fans, simply because in the aftermath of Arch Manning choosing Texas, you know, listen, you live in you're gonna have recruits that go other places right you know georgia fans don't get all that bothered by any individual recruit because this program wins so many recruiting battles but you can't help but notice that in the aftermath of manning getting texas there's been a lot of recruiting momentum for the longhorns you know you've had five-star receiver five-star safety you had a lot of people kind of joining up with texas in the immediate aftermath of manning's pledge to longhorns there as well and a lot of Georgia fans left to wonder, you know, kind of, oh, what could that have been for UGA? Well, you know, Tyler Williams, in his case, one of the things I liked about his story with you at DogNation.com is here's a very impressive prospect, a guy that's really grown in his stature in terms of how he's viewed as a receiver in recent years. And seemingly the Manning news doesn't seem to have any impact on him whatsoever. He liked Georgia before the Arch Manning stuff. Manning chooses Texas. That hasn't really slowed down his, I guess, belief that Georgia could be a, a nice destination for him. And as I said before, this is one of those things that kind of comes at a good time for a lot of UGA fans who may be left to wonder, well, what next in the aftermath of all of this? For Tyler Williams, it certainly seems like very little has changed in terms of how he perceived Georgia to be. Yeah, Brandon, I think, you know, for me as a reporter, I'm going to tell you the job just gets a little bit tougher every year. For example, this year I had that when I kicked the tires and I talked to these recruits, 
I need to know how they feel about NIL, whether NIL is a factor, whether it's not a factor. And with Georgia and receivers, one of the questions I ask is, I always ask is, hey, how big of a deal would Arch be to your decision and how big of a deal would it be if Georgia does not choose Arch? So that allows you to kind of isolate some information that really matters to them about their recruitment. And you're right. That's one of the things I wrote about um, Tyler Williams is I had it way up in the story because Tyler was a guy, let's face it, when we were having our reaction shows, when I was listening to fans, when I was interacting with fans, the main thing was like, Manning, ouch. I wouldn't call it a gut punch. I would just say ouch because it was collateral damage because a lot of people thought the link uh, effect to the Manning news would be all these big-time receivers choosing Georgia because it changed the offensive brand. In short, with Tyler Williams, he really wasn't thinking of that way of Georgia at all. He knew wherever he went, they'd be a great college quarterback that could help him facilitate his goals and dreams. And that's kind of what you have right there. Tyler Williams, I believe, um, unless he wants to expedite matters, he is going to announce, uh, make an announcement today as well, Brandon. I would look for that to be a top five decision there okay. for Tyler Williams. Okay, Man, I got I to gotta say, I really love this young man's story because very heartfelt, very genuine, and he plays and competes like he still doesn't believe he's good enough to be his, his name among these elites when he clearly is. I mean, the best story you can say in five seconds about Tyler Williams is he was the number three quarterback heading into his junior season in the junior year, rising junior year spring game. And now he's an All-American wide receiver prioritized by a lot of folks. No, it's a great story. And as you said before, we'll be waiting to see uh, that announcement from him later on. And obviously expecting to see George in that final grouping if it does come out. And, uh, you know, certainly a lot to like about him as a player. And I'd invite folks to check out the story at dognation.com as more of that kind of gets uh, chronicled there. Jeff, it, it seems like there's less positive news right now for defensive lineman Sadir Mitchell, where it seems like maybe he's trending away from Georgia right now. A lot of internet chatter over this about this over the course of the last 24 hours. What can you tell us about maybe a Georgia-Texas battle for a pretty good-looking defensive lineman here? Yeah, it's funny, Brandon. First of all, it's just the, the world we live in today. And I, people always say, you know, are these first world problems for Georgia? Like, first of all, uh, Sadir Mitchell took his official visit to Georgia in May. But, but really, it's just connected to so many, I would call it a nexus or an epicenters of college football right now. I think, my friend, that Texas is going to become the 50-yard line for all things a little bit eyebrow-raising in college football. You saw what Texas A&M did a year ago. You see what Texas is doing now. You even hear names like maybe that receiver Jalen Hale is being brought into that um, brought into the magnetism of the Arch Manning thing for for Texas. Uh, I think I'm counting. I think they've had nine commitments since since Arch Manning committed, including a couple of five stars when they went from number 19 in the country to number two in the country because of the Arch effect or whatever you want to call it. And here you have a guy, uh, Sidir Mitchell, who had a really strong visit, official visit to Georgia, so much to the point that a lot of folks thought that Georgia would eventually win that recruiting battle, but then he takes an official visit to Texas A&M. And, you know, these in this day and age, Brandon, whenever Georgia or another school, like in Ohio State or in Alabama, is competing against Texas A&M for a kid, there's also the name, image, and likeness ties that go with that. But now you have Texas and Texas A&M really rolling up their, their sleeves and really throwing their steps and hats to the wind. And they're really going to go after the players they want. It seems like Texas and Texas A&M are now really involved in – the Sadir Mitchell recruitment. And when I say it's first world problems is Brandon, there's about four or five other names at defensive tackle that are actually rated higher than Sadir Mitchell 
it's just that that's a guy that seemed like George was in a good spot with, and everybody started thinking about his size and adding him to the defensive front. Uh, and now the degree of difficulty is ratcheted up, right? And that's another thing. When I mentioned earlier, I kind of wanted to bring this back around in the course of our interview is like there are players that really are interested in NIL. They're really interested in what's going to happen for them with NIL. And then there are other players that Georgia has mostly targeted that believe if they do their thing, if they, if they get their game right, they get their mind right, and they get on the field, that NIL is going to happen for them wherever they're at, and it's going to happen for them greatly at a place like Georgia. And it seems like whenever there's NIL hanging on over recruitment, that's a, that's a, that's a race that I don't think Georgia, I wouldn't say is not built to win. I think it's not committed to win. They do not want to win an NIL, uh, tug of war for an elite prospect. They want him to choose their program for other more altruistic reasons, maybe more old fashioned reasons than simply an inducement at the front end. And it seems like if that's true, and I get the impression from, you know, a much, you know, wider range, you know, like our farther away viewpoint than you obviously have when they're speaking to the recruits as frequently as you do. But if that's true, it seems like they're still having a pretty good bit of success that way. Like I'll compare it to Florida here for a moment. This is not me being a Gator hater, but it's, you know, one of those deals where I guess Florida's, you know, either slow embrace of NIL or inability to kind of get their NIL stuff up and running, depending on what you believe, seems to be really hurting them with recruits. Billy Napier's, you know, public letter this week would seem to point the direction of that. Because it's not obvious other than NIL what they really have to sell. And I said, boy, this is not me like taking a shot at Florida. This is just a program that's been kind of, you know, down here a little bit. So they don't have NIL. What do they have? It seems like for Georgia, they obviously offer more than NIL, which doesn't mean you, you can ignore it. You can't, you know, obviously not participate in the process if you want to have great players. But as you said, like as a fan of this team, I'm actually pretty comfortable with the idea of, well, if NIL is the most important thing to you, if that's the number one thing on your list and you're not really thinking about the other stuff, then maybe you might be happier somewhere else. And that's not me taking a shot at Sadir Mitchell or anything like that, because honestly, I don't really know what went on with his story. But I do know if you're thinking about a generic recruit who has a lot of options, if NIL is your first choice, then then maybe you would be happier playing somewhere else because there are guys here who are going to think about NFL more so than NIL, the kind of long-range value they get from committing themselves to hard work. Yeah, Brendan, I think it's, it's, it's having something to sell. When you, had the, when you, when you link those buzzwords together – that's really what got me nodding in our conversation here. It, it, look what Texas A&M has done. I mean, they lost four games in the SEC last year. They went eight and four. But yet, the NIL gave them momentum because now the momentum on Texas A&M is they had that great recruiting class last year, and they've got so much brighter days ahead because of the roster that it's stacked. You see Texas is now trying to build a lot of momentum with NIL and arts and players where they feel like, People are trying to forget that five and seven season or maybe what they don't have to sell right now. So they're actually artificially creating the momentum where a school like an Alabama or a Georgia, they seem to have the same tact here. They have, they seem to have the same angle on this thing where it's just a backwards way to, to build your roster and build your players. And, you know, a lot of these young men, you know, Brandon, I know it catches the headlines. But it's very important. Think about this. If, if every contract we saw reported in pro sports included all the incentives, included all the maximums, uh, not guarantees, well, then I think that would be a more level playing field because you hear all these numbers, they're going $8 billion, they're going $9 million. Let's be frank, Brandon. No one is giving a high school player 
that is yet to start a deal up to eight, nine, ten million dollars. Yeah. Those are all pre- prevalent on them maximizing their NIL. Them being a Bryce Young player out of the gate. Them being a Caleb Williams player out of the gate. And frankly, Brandon, my friend, we see that that is very rare for quarterbacks with hit rates and other players for them to come right out of the gate and be playing like an All-American, like a Brock Bowers or you know some of those all those other recent guys that have been a thunderbolt from the start from the moment they stepped on the field no i think that's exactly right Jeff. i think that's really well said hey i want to ask about another player here coming up in a moment before that though let me remind folks we are on the road assisted by AAA here today and of course as we're traveling here this weekend we got those AAA membership cards in our pocket taking advantage of that legendary roadside assistance but when you think about AAA, i want you to think about more than just that in fact i want you to consider switching your auto insurance to AAA because when you do uh in the state of georgia you can save on average 472 dollars just by making that decision so dog fans you can get insurance right now through AAA and save some big time money in the process on all of that so call the number uh if you're watching a video you see it on your screen it's 833-718-2075 that's 833-718-2075 and get big savings when it comes to AAA now it's time for me to go to legal disclaimer here for a moment remind you that coverage is subject to all policy terms conditions exclusions and limitations subject to underwriting requirements insurance underwritten by member select insurance company and non-affiliated insurance companies new policy holders obtaining auto insurance to AAA in georgia and tennessee combined on average uh, to save 472 dollars savings average varies by state 492 for georgia 451 for tennessee average savings per year based on survey results from july 2020 through december 31st 2020 provided by new policyholders reporting dollar differences between uh, carriers and insurance through AAA. discounts and savings opportunities are subject to available requirements <laughs> terms and conditions savings amounts may vary 2022 copyright the auto club group all rights reserved all right so there you go there on that now jeff after all of that uh the name i want to ask you about here raylan wilson four-star linebacker as interesting a prospect as i think we've talked about here as of late a guy that has a chance i think to be pretty special at the college level and obviously it was viewed as very good news for georgia that he decommitted this week from michigan now specifically it doesn't mean anything but boy the online chatter was certainly fired up about maybe georgia getting in with a guy like wilson already got a cj allen in the mix who's a terrific looking linebacker you know there's some chatter growing around trey bowles there too jeff i gotta tell you uh that hit rate on those linebackers that's what this 2023 class looks like that's to me almost as good as what georgia did at defensive back a year ago or like some of the real pristine halls in any of the recent years if that's the trio of linebackers that georgia ends up getting big smile on my face i can promise you that i mean brandon we we say that this is positive and this is great news but let's look at the track record for glenn schumann he almost his hit rate man is getting way up there like sam Pittman levels del mcgee levels remember who did georgia really want to play linebacker in 2020 that was Shmael Munden. That, I mean, excuse me, in 2021, that was Shmael Munden. That was Xavier Torrey. Yeah. Those were the guys. And then you look at 2021, and Jalen Walker was a guy identified from the jump. It's, you know, somebody Georgia really had to have. They added C.J. Washington as well. Um, and you see here with Georgia and inside backers, I think I can do the math pretty quick. I think they only brought in Tony Rojas, a guy that just is out of Virginia, nice-looking prospect who's now backed off his decision, which was set for July the 5th. Um, you have uh, – Pup Howard, who just recently committed to South Carolina, uh-huh. despite a lot of love, a lot, a lot of love he had for Georgia. And then you have Raylan Wilson. And I think, Brennan, really the, the chase for Raylan really becomes real, despite everything you hear. It becomes real now with the decommitment. You hear about Florida also trying to get heavily involved with maybe some of their leftover quarterback money for uh, Raylan Wilson in the NIL game, which is always interesting. We covered that a minute ago. 
And then you've got Troy Bowles, who is the son of an NFL head coach, longtime defensive coordinator. You hear Georgia being in very great spots with all those guys. And, and Brendan, I think that covers the gamut of everybody that all those names right there was ones that Georgia hosted on official visits uh, in, 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 the, in the month of June. And you see, you see Georgia in a really good spot with three of those guys. And, I mean, it's almost with Schumann. What he can, he can sell now with what Nicobe Dean did and Channing Tindall did and Quay Walker, especially Tindall, how he really doesn't even get on the field a lot until his, his final season. And he goes all the way up to, I believe, being a second round pick now with the Miami Dolphins. And that's really impressive. You throw in a guy like Monty Rice, you throw in a guy like Roquan Smith and Tay Crowder. I mean, that running back, the legend of the Georgia linebacker room underneath Glenn Schumann is fantastic. And you see the way these guys are putting these together. Raylan Wilson, Brandon, he is a guy that you see him on film, and he's got they've got him returning punts, returning kickoffs. They've got him playing super back, which he's a running back in goal line situations. He's still very young, Brandon. I think the coolest, most clever thing you can say is you got the son of a former NFL player who lost his father. He's very dedicated to what he's doing. He gave me that great quote. It's like his, my dad gave me the recipe to be great but that means i have to get in the kitchen every day and cook that thing up he runs a 1091 as an as an inside linebacker prospect likely you know heading to major college football and that just doesn't happen very often all those things all those dots that are lined up there man it really smells of a future all sec player if he chooses to stay in and chooses to play in the southeastern conference Jeff, it's great insight, great information. Thank you for being with us here today on the road, assisted by AAA. We hope you have a great 4th of July weekend. We'll look forward to reading a lot of really fun stuff from you here at dognation.com the days to come. And we'll chat with you here on our program again very soon there after that. Hey, take it easy, Brandon. Everybody out there, have a great, happy, and safe 4th of July. Be on that road. You as well, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can't get them all. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of great recruits that are out there, and some of them are going to kind of sneak past Georgia. We can bring that down just a little bit if you want to. Uh, some of them are going to kind of sneak past Georgia's grasp here, but when you look at Raylan Wilson, when you look at, uh, I think I call him Trey Balls a moment ago, Troy Balls, when you look at Troy Balls, when you look at, obviously, C.J. Allen's already mixed there, what Georgia can do at linebacker, what it's set up to do in other positions, you know, uh, the wide receivers that it maintains pretty good relationships with, even after you know the Manning you know stuff has gone down. I think that you know Georgia fans have certainly gotten used to special recruiting classes, and I don't see any indication this 2023 class is going to be anything less than that as you head towards all of that. We've got an SEC through coming up. Cruise run the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Uh, before that, though, time to remind you of all the fun stuff that Royal Caribbean's got going on and your chance to go cruising with Royal Caribbean yourself here on a cruise ship at some point in time and what's left of 2022 or heading towards 2023. I had a conversation yesterday. Uh, there is a lot of excitement right now about Wonder of the Seas. This is the largest cruise ship in the world, and you know it's going to be you know kind of over in Europe for a while, but it's actually going to get a new home in Port Canaveral. Now, listen, I love Port Canaveral. That's a port just past Orlando. When I go cruising on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, I love to go out of Port Canaveral because it's the easiest port to get to, and it's really fun to think that the port that's the most convenient for me, one that I can just drive to, I don't want to fly if I don't have to, you know, it's just easier to drive for me sometimes. Well, driving distance for me at Port Canaveral 
we're about to have the ship in the Royal Caribbean fleet that's sort of setting the standard for everything. More amenities, more cool specialty restaurants, more uh, awesome experiences. Wonder of the Seas is phenomenal, and it's about to be in Port Canaveral. It's going to be there late 2022, heading in 2023. I'm looking forward to hopefully being on a Wonder of the Seas uh, cruise vacation here coming up really soon. And so it's not too soon for you to start thinking about Wonder of the Seas being at Port Canaveral and the opportunities that exist there as you're sort of in 2022, moving into 2023 and if you want to find out about that or all the other options available there as well including some really cool stuff going on with like you know normally like the three and four night sailings have involved you know uh, sometimes smaller cruise ship which for some people that's actually a really good thing but you have some upcoming sailings on a oasis class ship on a three and four night sailing that's a fun thing to think about that's the like the really big massive cruise ships on shorter sailings for those who might kind of want some of that all kinds of really fun options available Go to our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. They can walk you through everything that's out there. Their website for the Cruise and Vacation Authority, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. You can also give a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. They can talk you about all the great stuff going on with a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here as we run through 2022 and into 2023. All right, so want to kind of focus here for a moment on more of the SEC and how it's impacted by the move of USC and UCLA into the Pac-12. And if you look at our comment section before the show began, and undoubtedly even right now as we're speaking, there's thought of, well, who should the SEC add? You know, who really brings a lot to the table for the SEC? The names you hear mentioned a lot are like some of these ACC schools, like a like a Clemson. They've obviously been in the playoff a lot, won a couple of national championships. You hear talk of Florida State. You hear talk of Miami. But I sort of get the impression that a couple of the schools that are out there that are almost like, and this is just my speculation here, but if you want to think about like dream scenario type stuff, maybe it involves a Clemson or a Florida State. Those are schools that from a from a alignment standpoint already seem to have a similar philosophy than what exists for the SEC. The fan bases overall are probably smaller than you realize, but still they, from a philosophical standpoint, are just more closely aligned to the SEC. But you get the impression that big fish that might be out there a school like the University of North Carolina, obviously probably a bigger fan base than, than maybe you might realize. Uh, that's one of those schools that would have a lot of value in any kind of you know conference you know expansion talk. You know you know moving into a new conference, something along those lines. UNC has got a lot of value there, maybe more than you realize, and maybe even more than a, a Clemson or a Florida State might have. North Carolina is a pretty big fish in all of this. Obviously, the biggest fish of all is Notre Dame. Now. Could I see Notre Dame in the SEC? From a philosophical standpoint, it does not seem to be a great fit. And I think you have to be careful about this, that when you bring in schools that have just a different operating philosophy than you've had, all of a sudden you're giving over voting power to someone who might move the league into a different ideological direction. This matters. I mean, a couple of years ago, we saw a big showdown in college athletics. And listen, smart people were on both sides of this topic. It's not my place to say what was right, and what was wrong. But the Big Ten was quite intent, it would appear, to cancel the college football season in 2020. And the SEC was quite intent, it would appear, to find a healthy and safe way to do that. And ultimately, the SEC won and the Big Ten followed in behind on the SEC's lead. But that gives you an idea that the philosophical makeup of your conference members matters a lot here. And the Big Ten wanted to move in one direction. The SEC wanted to move in a starkly different direction. And so as conference expansion takes place, you know, how do the new schools that you add 
cause your league to evolve philosophically, that's one of those things the SEC would have to greatly consider here. Now, I will say, as it evolves Notre Dame, they are a very big player in whatever happens next because, as I mentioned in the early stages of the show, that if you want to form a super conference that rivals the SEC or what the Big Ten is building, you got to have super teams to be able to do that. And there seemingly are not a lot of super teams available. One of those is Notre Dame. And you hear a lot of chatter of, you know, clearly they're a big target out there, you know, either joining the ACC as a full-fledged member, joining the Big Ten where they have a little bit more geographic alignment, joining the SEC because of its ability to kind of, you know, generate revenue, which uh, obviously is also still important Notre Dame. You know, one way or another, Notre Dame making some sort of decision about being a full-fledged member of a conference, maybe this does happen. They've obviously been greatly resistant to that in the past because they've enjoyed their prestige as being an independent, but maybe all of this alignment for the future makes this a necessity. It's not clear to me whether it will or it won't, and it's not clear to me like which conference Notre Dame would most want to be a part of. But if you think about super teams that could still give a little more cachet to a super conference, Notre Dame, because of its big national following, is certainly an example of that. I guess, by the way, it sort of leaves you wondering, well, what about the other teams like sort of Big 12, Pac-12 that have any value whatsoever? Like what happens to Oregon here? Like Oregon's been in the college football playoff. They've played for a national championship. They've obviously got a recognizable brand because of all those uniforms. Dan Lanning's out there. You kind of have a little bit of affection for him. Does Oregon have a place at the table anymore if they're left in a Pac-12 that doesn't have a whole lot of like big, you know, city panache with USC and UCLA moving on? Uh, it's not clear to me on that. You know, Washington's another Pac-12 team that's been in the playoff. It's got Seattle, you know, over the course of years. Even in recent years, Washington's actually probably recruited better than you realize. It's not uncommon for Washington to have a top 15 recruiting class. And over the course of the last 40 years, they've actually probably won more games in the field than you might realize. What happens to them? Like, those are two pretty big Pacific Northwest teams that it's not obvious to me what their future might be. Um, I think you also kind of wonder here a little bit of, I saw some chatter of, hey, if the Big Ten pursues more expansion, would it consider Missouri? That's an SEC team currently in the league. Uh, but, you know, would, would the Big Ten try to poach Missouri for any number of reasons here? I, I think there's a lot more that's still going to be determined and discussed related to to all of this. And, and it's, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. And obviously, a lot of folks are going to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and not all of it's going to stick. But my oh my, it seems like there's a lot of possibilities that are out there. Now, let me say one more thing about this and then we'll get ready to wrap up today's show. Like. If you listen to the show on a regular basis, if you watch the show on a regular basis, I think one of the things you would probably say about me is, hey, I have tried the best I can to sort of fight to keep some of the traditions in place for college football. Like college football that's existed for like 100 and something years, 150 years, you know, like as it's grown as an institution, like its history, its its tradition, its respect for heritage has been part of its strength. And if you start picking away at some of that kind of stuff, you start to you know, run the risk of destabilizing the sport and, and and basically reducing the strength of the sport because of the instability that you might accidentally produce and all of that. I've kind of argued some of that in a lot of NIL and transfer portal and things like that. I think one of the potential byproducts, though, of what we're seeing right now is if a USC and a UCLA are moving on to the Big Ten, totally disrespecting the whatever history the Pac-12 has, and frankly, in a lot of ways, kind of watering down the the history of the Big Ten is kind of a Midwest league. And yes, I know it used to be called the Western Conference, but 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 still, you know, 
there's just such a disregard for history and all of this. I mean, the unfortunate byproduct of some of this is it almost makes someone like me who has cared about the history and tried to like fight to preserve the history when it's possible. It kind of almost makes me want to give up on that because all of a sudden now the like the old cliche from the horror movie, the call is coming from inside the house. Like the people who are actually destroying the history of college football the most are not the NIL handlers or people like that. It's actually the administrators who are literally chasing every dollar they can get from the TV networks like ESPN and Fox. And obviously they're prerogative to do that. And if I was in their position, I'd want as much money as I could get there as well. But actions don't come without consequences. And sometimes I wonder if the unintended consequence to all this can end up being for the average fan who is being asked to show support for his favorite team and in some cases his alma mater by you know, paying for season tickets, but also making donations to capital campaigns that build better facilities and now becoming a member of his NIL collective and making a donation there on that. At a certain point in time, I think the patience that fans have with being asked to do all those things and contribute to a team that's a part of a league that's already getting billions of dollars from a TV entity or a media rights entity, I think at a certain point in time, fans' patience with doing all that kind of stuff, especially at a time in which you know the economy is maybe moving into work like it's not such a great place right now, I think a lot of fans are going to say, hey – I'm tired of this. I I don't want this. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the old football movie, North Dallas 40, and like the player talking to his management person says, every time I call this a game, you call it a business. And every time I call it a business, you call it a game. Like there are a lot of college programs that really lean on the idea of sentimentality as a way of getting money from fans or boosters or donors, whatever you want to call them. You know, hey, you got to step up and support for the glory of old Georgia. Well, if ESPN is giving you a billion dollars, I'm going to be left to assume you don't need my money. And if so-and-so recruit is not going to come to Georgia unless, you know, there's this big NIL offer made to him, then I'm sorry. A lot of fans are going to say, well, guess what? If he needs this money, then you pay him. I mean, you're the coach that makes $100 million, and you're the athletic department that's making a billion dollars. If the player needs money, don't ask me to pay him. You pay him. You're the one that's getting all this money from Fox or ESPN or whatever else like the connection that fans have in any sentimental way to their alma mater or their state university or, or, or favorite football team however they describe it in their own mind like that sentimental connection that like sense of pride they take because of the university of georgia or the university of fill in the blank in a day and age in which it's so clearly about business and the financial windfall coming the way of these new super competitors so large Good luck getting them to pay an extra $500 when they've kind of trampled on everything that the college football fan once held dear as a way of making $500 million from some, you know, big TV, uh, uh, you know, provider or something along those lines. I think the unintended consequences of all these moves, I think, is still not quite yet to be determined. It's something worth watching as we head towards the future. But for now, we won't worry about that for now. We're going to think about having a great holiday weekend. And for me, that means being outside. For a lot of you, that means being being by the pool or going fishing or playing golf or whatever else. And that means when you go, you take the finished long drink with you where you do. Tastes so good sitting outside and enjoying all of that that comes with that. And so my invitation to you is to check out the finished long drink online at thelongdrink.com. You can see all the choices that are available to you. There are four different. There's the uh, cranberry that comes like a little bit of a red can. There's the blue can that has the citrus 
a flavor to go along with that gin kick. Long drink strong. That's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. There's the long drink zero. No carbs, no sugar. Some of you trying to get in good shape as we head towards the season. I'm trying to get back to my fighting weight as we head towards the fall. So uh, the long drink zero makes a lot of sense for me there on that. Just make sure you check it out today. It's the longdrink.com. It tastes great. A lot of you've tried it and you enjoy it and you're ready to do uh, a lot more on that. Or or maybe some of you want to try it for the first time. The longdrink.com, great place to go. And you can try all of that today. So first of all, big thanks here today. Um, Michael Carvel, our oftentimes producer, has been on vacation. Connor Riley, who stepped in for him a lot this week, also kind of taking a little bit of time out there today. So we welcome in Shane. First time sitting in the big chair behind the glass here at Dog Nation. What a great job he has done today keeping us on the air. I can promise you, his job is a lot harder than mine is, so I'm very grateful to have uh, him keeping us uh, up and running here today. And, of course, grateful to all of you for being with us there, too. Hope you all are getting ready to enjoy a great 4th of July holiday weekend. And sure enough, whatever you do, I hope it is truly great. Let me give you golden shoes to say goodbye to you. Our buddy Mad Dog sharing this with us. He says, the grass isn't always greener. And you see on the left side a very cool animation of a very tough-looking Trojan and Bruin in the Pac-12. That's what USC, UCLA looks like. A much softer version of those same two schools moving over towards the Big Ten. That's pretty funny stuff from Mad Dog. We'll give him a golden shoe for that. We'll also remind you, lousy stinking Gators, it is not a happy 4th of July for them because it's been 4,921 days since they have won a national championship. That's our Gator Hater Updater and our Gator Hater Countdown. Dogs heading towards Jacksonville. 121 days from right now. Beating up on Florida again. We can't wait to see that. That's our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. Have a good weekend, everybody.